Well, I just want to thank I want to thank Steve and Don for for having me this weekend, and thank you for having me. Um, it's it's so great to be here. I've never been to this church. It's gorgeous, and I got to know some of you yesterday. So that was wonderful. I, I have to say, I'm used to walking around when I talk. So if you see me doing this, it's because I want to walk around. Um, but I'll, I'll try to contain myself. Um, we'd love for us just to, to center ourselves and join our hearts together in prayer before I get started. Let's pray. Gracious God, loving God, good God, so many things that you are for us. We're so grateful. And Lord, you have called us here today, each one of us. You've called us here. And so we've responded to that, and here we are. And Lord, um, what do you have to say to us today? What, what does your word want to teach us? What do you want us to know? May we just open our hearts and our minds to what your word is saying and what Jesus might be either whispering to us or, or calling out to us in this scripture today. So, Lord, we thank you and we praise you for the privilege that we can do this today, that we can worship together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, yes, as Steve said, I, I serve a church down in Newport Beach. It's very different than, the, than Chico. Um, if you've ever been to Chico in Northern California, Newport Beach is very, very different. So um, I actually, when I was leaving um, Princeton and looking for my first call, said to God, God, send me anywhere except for California. <laughs> and so I learned you never pray, you never tell God, never do something, because it will happen. And the only reason I didn't want to come to California was because I had no ties here. I grew up in, in the Chicago area, and my family's from Wisconsin and Chicago. I'd gone out east for school, and California just seemed a whole other country away. And um, I grew up in a, as a Catholic, I grew up in a Catholic family, and um, we, we weren't just, you know, Catholic, we were like devout Catholics, like we, we practiced our religion, and my, my family was very involved in our church. I, I loved Jesus as a child, I just loved Jesus. I found some of my old diaries from when I was in third grade, and I used to write little love letters to Jesus. Just, I just loved him. And so, um, you know, that's how I grew up. But I had my wilderness years. Um, it, it had nothing to do with punk rock singing. That was actually, I was already a Christian when I was doing that, so that's a whole other story for a whole other sermon on a different day. Um, but but I, I did. When I went to college, I had some years that were what I would call my wilderness years, and I really questioned religion and faith, and I still loved Jesus, but I definitely, I wanted, I wanted to experience life. You know, I, I moved into New York City after college, worked in an art gallery, was very active in, in the music scene and the art scene in New York City, and I knew that there was something really deeply missing from my life. And it wasn't until I, had, I was invited to a Presbyterian church, uh, Fifth Avenue Presbyterian in New York City, and I went and I realized I really had kind of this uh, spiritual awakening where I realized that what had been missing was my relationship with Jesus, that I had really um, you know, said goodbye to something that was so important to me, and I wanted to know if Jesus would have me back. <laughs> and I was told yes, because God is gracious and forgiving and wanted me back. And um, so I, I really got involved at this church. I was a deacon. 
Um, and I, I did a lot of things at this church. And I found that I, I didn't really join the young adult group. I was in my 20s. I mean, I was young, I was single, and um, I did a lot of volunteering at the church. But I didn't, I didn't participate in the young adult group. Instead, I found that I gravitated towards some of the more mature Christian women at the church. And there was one woman in particular, and I, you know, of course I was, in New York, and I so I wanted to like I wanted to experience the coolness of New York, but not but also be Christian. And I was like, what does that look like? Like, how can you be cool and Christian, right? You know, it's like, how, what does that look like? And I had this one woman that I would call, and I would and she would give me some really good advice. And um, I I had one person that I worked with that just got under my skin, you know, just really aggravated me on a daily basis. And I'm sure that's never happened to you, but it did happen to me. And so I would call this mature woman at church. I would I'd get some advice from her. And I think that she just wanted to be more than like a receptacle for my complaint. She wanted to help me. So one day I called her. I was complaining about this person. And she said, you know what? Um, she said, have you prayed for her? And I said, no. <laughs> Pray for her? No. And she said, well, you know, Jesus did teach that we should pray for our enemies. And she said, I think if maybe you prayed for her regularly, every single day for the next two weeks, pray for her for all the things you would want for yourself. Joy, peace, contentment, whatever you would want for yourself, pray for this woman and do it for every day for the next two weeks. Well, I have to admit, I didn't get past the third day. And the reason is because my heart for this woman softened. It softened, and I, I was able to see that, um, you know, this woman was just like me and wanted the same things in life that I wanted. And I no longer had this frustration toward this woman, and this was such an important lesson for me that Jesus' teachings, they're not just these great ideas or clever sayings, but they're the things that we're to do, that we're to actually put into practice. And so today we're going to look at a scripture that takes place at the end of Jesus's famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And actually we're going to look at it from Luke's gospel. And it's, it's not on a mount, it's on a plain. It's his sermon on the plain, so it's more of a flat space. And in this particular excerpt from the sermon, Jesus poses a question to his listeners. It's a question. So pay attention to this question that he starts, um, that this excerpt starts with. So we're looking at Luke 6. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, before I was ever a pastor, I had a full career. I had a couple of careers. I know I don't look that old, do I? I know it. <laughs> Just kidding. 
Uh, yes, I had a couple of careers. So I, I lived in New York City, I worked in an art gallery for a while, and then, long story, I ended up in a, in a, uh, working in a corporate law firm. And I moved from New York back to Chicago, worked for another corporate law firm in Chicago. I was not involved in any legal stuff. I worked in the management, I recruited the attorneys for the firm, so I was a recruiter. And part of my job as a recruiter was to teach the lawyers how to interview candidates. Now you'd think lawyers would know how to ask questions. Um, and if you're a lawyer out there, you understand that asking questions in a deposition or a courtroom is very different than during a job interview. And one of the basic points that I would teach the lawyers about interviewing candidates was that you had to veer away from asking any question that started with why. And the reason is because when you ask a why question, it puts somebody on the defensive. So instead of asking, you know, why did you leave your job in 2010, you would probably want to reword it and say, tell me more about your decision to change jobs in 2010, because then the person has space to really kind of tell their story and doesn't feel like they have to defend themselves. And if you think about in your own personal life, when somebody says, why are you wearing that? Or why did you turn the, why did you leave the light on in the bathroom? Or why are you eating that? You'll, you'll kind of get on the defensive, right? Or when we ask our, our kids, why haven't you put your toys away? You know you're gonna get hundreds of excuses. So why questions really put us on the defensive? And the question that Jesus posed in this scripture to these thousands of people that he's, he's preaching to is this why question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Well, I mean, that puts us on the defensive, I would imagine, right? It's like the famous words I know I've said to my child, how many times do I have to tell you, right? But I think we need to consider that these words, the tone of them, it's not Jesus shaking his finger, but rather it's this loving question. It's this the, the love of a God who wants only the best for us. It's a question from a God who wants the best for us. So Luke tells us that Jesus, he's in front of you know, thousands of people, and he looks right at his disciples, and he starts talking directly to them. And he tells them about the experience of the kingdom of God and how we can experience it here. The Sermon on the Mount is about how to experience the kingdom of God here and now. It's not about waiting for the then and there. And so he tells them what theologian N.T. Wright calls that they can practice habits of the heart, habits of the heart right here and right now to participate in the kingdom of God. And those things are loving your enemy, praying for your enemy, turning the other cheek if someone has wronged you, not judging people, forgiving people. And then at the end of his sermon, he's, he asks them, why do you call me Lord? And you're not doing those things. He wants to know, I've told you all these things, but why aren't you doing them? He really wants them to consider that the things he's teaching aren't these like clever ideas or these catchy little phrases. <laughs> They're things to put into action. And so our profession of faith is not just a verbal thing. It's lived out in our actions, in obedience, 
He says this is foundational. That's why he uses that analogy of building a house on a strong foundation. So when Jesus asks this question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say, he's in effect asking the disciples, are you a fan or a follower of me? Are you a fan or a follower? Think of someone that you're a fan of. Who are you a fan of? I love Meryl Streep. I love her movies. I think she's a great actress. I'll see anything she's in. I love LeBron James. Did you know that? No. I love LeBron James. I love watching him play. I'm sorry. I love him. <laughs> but I do not desire to learn these people's philosophy. I don't desire to live like them. I, I don't want to do the things they do. I don't want to say the things that they say. I will never act like Meryl Streep. I will never play ball like LeBron James. I'm just a fan. Just a fan. Now, following someone is a different matter. So, as uh, Steve mentioned, yes, I was in a band in New York City, and I, I wanted, so it was funny because in high school, I was voted most likely to be a rock star, and um, which is, if you knew me back then, that was just so weird. I, I was, that was not who I was, but I did want to be a rock star. And when I, when I lived in New York City, I desired it so badly, I took guitar lessons. And I wanted to play like Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin. I just, I mean, that was who I wanted to play like. I, I mean, I had daydreams about playing like him. And so I would go, you know, as a true follower of someone, I would listen to his guitar riffs for hours. And I would have my guitar teacher teach me how to play some of the things he played, and I would practice them again and again and again. I wanted so badly to play guitar like him. So you see, when we're, we're just fans of someone, we're just admiring them. But as followers of someone, we model ourselves after them. We, we study what they do. We, we practice the things they practice. There's a, a big difference between being a fan and a follower. You know, the great 19th century Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, oh, he's just amazing, an amazing mind. And he wrote about the difference between followers and he said admirers or fans. He said, Christ came into the world with the purpose of saving, not instructing it. At the same time, it's implied in his saving work that he came to pattern, to leave footprints for the person who would follow him, who would become a follower. I love that idea, his footprints. We've got his footprints to follow in. And he goes on to say, what is the difference between an admirer, a fan, and a follower? A follower is or strives to be what he or she admires. An admirer or a fan keeps him or herself personally detached. He or she doesn't strive to be what they admire. You know, the question of Jesus in today's scripture is about making him the Lord of our life by professing his lordship with our mouths and then following in his footsteps, doing the things that he commands. You know, in Matthew's version of this, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus doesn't ask a question, but rather he points out that some people will call him Lord, but they have no idea what it's like to experience the kingdom of God because they're not putting into practice the things that he taught.
So followers, as opposed to fans or admirers, are the ones who are doing the things that Jesus says. You know, at the beginning of this sermon that Jesus delivers in Luke, we're told that these throngs of people are coming to him. He has a lot of fans, lots of them. And when he got ready to deliver his sermon, you know, he turned to his disciples and he taught them. And unfortunately, the word disciple, you know, we just tend to think of, oh yeah, disciple, somebody that's listening to Jesus. No, the, the word disciple has become kind of watered down over the years and kind of lost its, um, its depth. You know, in the Gospels, being a disciple, yes, it meant following Jesus, but not just literally. It meant that they put into action in their whole lives. They gave up everything and they followed him everywhere. And as disciples of rabbis would do, they didn't just listen to him, they actually put into practice the things he was doing. Any, any rabbi that had disciples, um, I love this saying, uh, rabbis used to say when you, to disciples, when you follow me, the dust of my feet should, should brush up, should land on you. That's how close you should be following me. And Jesus, you know, this idea of following in his footprints, footprints is his dust landing on us. How closely are we following our rabbi? And it's about being in interactive relationship. You know, the disciples were in very close relationship with him. It includes learning what he's like and obeying what he said, putting it into practice. It's the idea of an apprentice. And we also don't really have a lot of modern day apprentices, do we? I mean, you know, in some trades we do, but apprentices, they, they watch the craft and the art of their master and they learn it and they practice it again and again until they can start doing that same work. Discipleship, when we think about it, should conjure up this idea of being apprentices of Jesus. So if we, turn, we return to this why question, it might make us feel like we are on the defensive too. Why aren't we obeying him? I know I ask myself that question sometimes. Why aren't I? That's a troubling question. Why, why aren't I obeying him? You know, in, in John's gospel, during Jesus' last hours with his disciples, some of his last words to them were, if you love me, keep my commandments. And he said, they who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. So obeying Jesus is an expression of our love for him. Do I love Jesus? Oh, yes. So what does that look like? What does that look like? I think that's really interesting. And I have to ask myself that on a regular basis. I love Jesus. How am I doing with that? What does that look like? You know, this concept of obedience is hard, isn't it? It's really hard. And sometimes it's painful because that means we can't do what we want to do. <laughs> we can't get what we want. And that's really hard. And we can go on the defensive with our excuses. Well, so-and-so was rude to me in front of my boss, and I wasn't going to let myself be embarrassed like that, so I had to give it right back. That's an excuse. Well, I'm not going to pray for that person, because I don't know what they would want anyway. Well, there's an excuse, sure. Or, you know, I know I'm not supposed to judge others, but I'm just exercising caution about who I associate with, and I really think other people should know some of the things I've seen about them. 
there's a good excuse, right? I mean, we can come up with all of these, these logical reasons for why we do what we do. And I don't know what your excuses are. I know what mine are. But what are they? What are our excuses? You know, and obedience is really kind of a moot point, isn't it, if we don't believe that Jesus is Lord of our lives. You know, when we're just fans and not followers, obeying doesn't really matter. So perhaps this scripture today is really asking us this question to examine ourselves and ask, like, is Jesus really Lord of my life? Do I really, have I really submitted my life to his lordship? You know, and if we decide that we want to be his apprentices, the first thing that we do is just look at the consistency of his actions. I mean, we love these things about Jesus. We love that he was humble. We love that he was faithful, compassionate, loving. He gave every person a sense of dignity and worth. We love these things about him. But you know, when we look at these qualities and we look in all the gospel narratives, they arise out of a life that is lived intentionally by Jesus around certain practices like solitude, times of silence and solitude, times of prayer, Sabbath, fasting, service. These are the practices that he did. And so the disciples who followed them, and, and we as apprentices, patterned their lives after these same practices. We call them spiritual disciplines because being disciplined in our spiritual practices makes obedience possible. What are your intentional spiritual practices? Are you putting into place the things that Jesus used in his own life? You know, that's where it all started for Jesus. If you read the Gospels closely, when Jesus' days were recorded in the Gospel, you never found him getting up, springing out of bed, and running out to look for people. He didn't go out looking for people to heal. He didn't sit down and plan out his lesson plan for the day. No, the first thing he did was connect with his Father. He had times of intentional prayer and solitude. And then when the people came to him for healing and teaching, he responded to those things out of the connection that he had with his father. That is the beautiful pattern that we as his disciples follow. Those are the footprints that we walk in. You know, I, you're probably sitting, well, I don't know how you're, what you're thinking right now, but I know what I would be thinking if I were you which is, oh great, one more thing to do, a whole nother list of things I need to add to my daily life, right, to my plate. Lots of things to do, more busyness, more, I've got to find more time in my day for this. Well, do you think Jesus wasn't busy? <laughs> With thousands of people following him. You know what I think is so great about us versus Jesus, our day and age? is that we can choose to turn off our phone. We cannot check our emails. We can, we can really do that. <laughs> you know, when you take a Sabbath day, and I think maybe you've been going through the Ten Commandments and probably learned some more about Sabbath, when you take a full day off and cease working for Sabbath, the other six days are planned accordingly. It's setting your priorities. 
We get to do those things. But Jesus, he, didn't, he couldn't turn off his phone. He couldn't not check his emails because he had, he couldn't. Was that a ding? Did somebody not, did somebody not turn off their phone? That was so great. <laughs> Praise Jesus. I love it. Jesus was forced to respond to people because they were right in front of him. Imagine all those dings and emails were people right in front of you. <laughs> so this idea of walking in Jesus' footsteps, of practicing the things that he practiced, it's not about adding more things. It's about prioritizing our things. It's about keeping certain habits, certain rhythms of our life very central. That's what Jesus was talking about, this foundation. What's our foundation? Five to ten minutes each morning in silence. You know, I find, I really found it very hard to leave my phone away from me when I was having times of prayer in the morning. I found it very, very hard, very challenging. But when I did, I realized that five or ten minutes less on social media was so much more freeing. <laughs> You're trading something. If I'm giving Jesus more time, what are the things that get less of my time and probably should have less of my time? It's about prioritizing these things. And it gives us a whole new freedom in our lives. And the most important thing is it deepens, deepens our relationship with God. I like Dallas Willard is a great spiritual writer. He's no longer with us. He was um, chair of the philosophy department at USC for a while. He taught philosophy for about 40 years at USC. But he always says, you know, it's not this, you know that WWJD, what would Jesus do? He says it's not about that. It's about um, having this relationship with Jesus so that the things I do are the things that Jesus would do if he were me. <laughs> it's living our lives where we are so close to Jesus, we're deepening that relationship that we no longer have to think. It just flows from us praying for people, turning the other cheek. It's, we don't have to think about it. It just comes naturally. It's a freedom. It's a beautiful freedom. And so, you know, through his death, his life, his death, his resurrection, Jesus has made available to us a way of living that it anticipates the kingdom of God that's ahead in the, its fullness. Jesus said, I, I have come that the kingdom of God is near which means I'm showing you what the kingdom of God looks like. And here's what you do. The whole Sermon on the Mount is here's how you do to experience it now. And if Jesus is our Lord, is Lord of our lives, that means we agree to apprentice him and try these things out and practice them. You know, when the resurrected Jesus, after he was resurrected and he appeared to his disciples, he, um, at the end of Matthew's gospel, he did what every good master would do to his apprentices. He said, I've been apprenticing, you've been apprentices of mine, now go and find some apprentices that you can take on. It's the Great Commission. He said, you know, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey 
everything I've commanded you. We forget that part. I think a lot of the Christian churches are, are love to go make, baptize, but the teaching to obey, oh, that's a big one. You know, profession of faith, it's so important. Confessing with our mouths, Lord, Lord, very important. Intellectual knowledge about Jesus is very important. But being followers of Jesus, apprentices, is more than the words of our lips or the knowledge of our heads. It's about living a life that's modeled after our master, our Lord Jesus. It is about relationship. It's about having a relationship with Jesus where we desire to do the things that he teaches. Our God loves us, every single one of us, so much. We're so beloved in his eyes that he sent this master builder who has taken us under his wings as his apprentices. And it's up to us if we want to be fans or followers. So brothers and sisters in Christ, don't miss out on the greatest invitation that Jesus has given. Follow me. May it be so. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, Lord, we are just in awe of the amount of love that you have for us and the amount of patience and the amount of compassion and forgiveness and true grace. You are the God of all grace. And so, Lord, as we bask in these amazing things that you give to each one of us so freely, we just think about what is our response to that? Do we desire to really live this beautiful life that Jesus taught us to live? What might be some of our excuses? What might they be? Can you help us with that, Lord? Maybe some of us really have a hard time with this idea of obedience. So Lord, help us with that. What does our loving relationship look like with you? Lord, may we just follow this invitation that Jesus has given to each and every one of us to just walk in his footsteps and let the, the dust of his feet land on us. Give each one of us that vision, that strength, and that desire. So we lift this prayer up to you by the power of the Holy Spirit and in the strong name of Jesus, amen.